This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Matt Brown. He is the founding and senior pastor at Sandals Church in Riverside, California. From a small eight-person church plant in 1997, Sandals Church now has 14 physical campuses throughout California, a growing online campus presence with more than 50 countries tuning in and a digital presence reaching 110,000 people weekly. Pastor Matt is passionate about the vision of authenticity and raising the next generation of leaders for the local church. In his new book, Every Day a Miracle, Matt asks the question, where do you go when you need a miracle? He shows us that every day there is an opportunity for a miracle and invites us into a journey to discover Jesus, not only as a savior, but as a healer. I'm telling you, this is such a good conversation, really convicting. I took some things away from it that I have been thinking about all week, especially when it comes to just my faith and my prayer life. And oh my goodness, we laughed, we cried. This was the epitome of a can I laugh on your shoulder episode because we experienced all the emotions. I'm telling you, you're going to love this conversation with Matt Brown. So without further ado, on to my chat with Matt Brown. Oh man, I'm so excited. It is going to be a great day because I've got Matt Brown on the podcast with me today. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for being yeah. here. Thank you, Molly. It's good to have you. I am, you know, we're, we're talking to each other through the internets uh, across the country. You're in yes. sunny SoCal. I'm in apparently sunny North Carolina today. So um, yeah, that's right. I know. And God is good. God is real. And it's going to be a great day. Um, so let's start off by having you give us the Matt Brown 101. So tell us who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are. Yeah, so I'm a, a church planter in Southern California. Church planting, woo! Yes. Okay. All right, we're gonna talk about that. Yeah. So uh, started started at, uh, Sandals Church in 1997. I was about three years old. No, I was in my <laughs> I was in my 20s, and uh, I was a, a frustrated youth pastor who just wanted to uh, start a church that was going to be real. And so my wife and I and our one year old daughter, uh, we hit the streets of SoCal, knocking on doors, and really, really struggled. I got to tell you, it was really, really mm -hmm. difficult, but God was gracious. And here we are 26 years later with 14 wow. campuses. We have a weekend audience of about 140,000 people. It's just bizarre. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. So we're one of the largest churches in the country and it's crazy that anybody goes to church in California. So I'm grateful for that. And, uh, my, my family's Baptist. So I, I tell my, my family, I, I, uh, pastor first Baptist of Sod Sodom and Gomorrah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's where, that's where I'm the pastor. 
I love it. I love it. And uh, obviously, other than being a pastor, you are yeah. a husband, you're a father, um, an author. And yes. so tell us tell us about your life outside of work, because I know um, I am a fellow church planter. I am not a pastor, um, okay. but just part of a leadership team um, that, that started a church plant here in North Carolina. And um, I know firsthand, well, again, not a pastor. Um, my husband, not a pastor, but, uh, Mm. you know, being in the everyday grind of church planting, it consumes you. Um, and I know that pastor life consumes you. So what do you, what, tell us about your life outside of pastoring. Oh yeah. Well, so today is a glorious day because it's raining. And the reason why (laughs) I'm excited about that is because it means it's snowing. So I'm about an hour away from big bear Mm. and it's beautiful snow, but it has, it has to be cold and it has to be wet. And so tomorrow I'm going to go snowboarding. Uh, today is also a great day to surf. So we have beautiful surf. Uh, I love to surf. I did, uh, Ironman triathlons for a while. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, I do. So yeah, I did 13 of those. I'm retired. Um, I'm done. But uh, I I love to speak. I love to write. um, I love to communicate. And I love to spend time with leaders. And so uh, one of the great things about my job, we have 14 campuses. So I get to lead 14 campus pastors. So I don't pastor any of the campuses. I am the the founding pastor and a teaching pastor, but every campus has its own pastor. So that's great. I get to do some other things. And so like, right. um, So Yeah, Yeah. that's amazing. Okay. So I want to talk about church planting for a minute because, uh, again, uh, it's, you know, if you had told me even, I don't know, two and a half years ago, if you'd said, Molly, church planting's on your 2021 (laughs) bingo card, I would have been like, not really. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, our situation, and I'm not going to take up the time to to tell the story of, of how our church got started. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was not in the cards for us. It was okay. kind of uh, God called us to do it. And we were being disobedient if we didn't. Mm. And, yeah. um, you know, there was a, you know, so we just kind of came from a unique situation. And there was a, a group of us that just God was calling to and and, um, and our pastor. And, and so that's, you know, how it started. And it has been a grind. And it is yeah. not for the faint of heart. Um, because, you know, church is made up of broken, messy people. And so it can be stressful. You know, you talked about being a, did you use the word disgruntled youth pastor? But why did that work? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you know, I did. The word disgruntled is coming to mind. And I was like, I don't want to put that word in your mouth. If you didn't say that. No, that was my word. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so being a disgruntled youth pastor, but so was it the kind of situation where you just were like, on your knees in prayer and God said you're supposed to plant a church or how did it come about for you? Because it has to be a calling. It can't just be something you wake up one day and go, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm in the backyard of a famous guy named Rick Warren. And so I think because of my connection with him, I always kind of thought that's what I would do. I wish I could say it was bathed in prayer. It was Mm -hmm. just really a decision, an emotional decision. I was frustrated I had a great pastor, great church, church, just real traditional Southern Baptist. And you know what that is in North Carolina. And that just doesn't work in California. Right. You know, good people. My frustration with the Southern Baptists is they say they're all about missions, but they don't ever want to be a missionary where they are. Mm. So they don't actually want to reach the community that God has placed them in. And, And so, you know, you have these wonderful people from Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas that come to California and they want to recreate Texas, Oklahoma and Kansas. And it's just, it's just a challenge. And so, so I left 
way too soon. So if I wrote a book, Molly, on church planning, it would be called How Not to Plant a Church. <laughs> uh, I did everything wrong. I hired my friends. I hired my family. It was a total train wreck. Mm-hmm. And I, I really almost about five years in, and I talk about that in my book, I just unraveled emotionally, physically, and just came to the end of myself because you know, it's one thing to sit outside of something and criticize it. You know, if I was in charge and then all of a sudden you're in charge. And, and I, I remember one time I'm, I'm, I'm in this staff meeting and I'm thinking, who hired all these idiots? Mm. Well, I did. <laughs> I hired every one of them. And so, you know, it's a different thing when you've created your own mess. And so I think that, you know, people are hard. I had a very real encounter with God where I was very aware of my sin and I knew I needed to change. A lot of people don't have that. They just have not come to the end of themselves. And then you get into church with those people and they think they're pretty good. And you know, I would never hurt you. It's like, yeah, but you just put that knife in my back. So I think you did. And you know, the old Shakespearean saying, Brutus and Cassius, they too were honorable men. I was about to say, et tu brute. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, that stabbed Julius Caesar, you know, in his back and- you start experiencing that and that's really, really painful. Yeah. And especially when you have a vision, Sandal's vision is to be real. And it's the worst vision ever because no one wants to be real. Like no one would say, Molly, I want to be fake with myself, others and God. But that's how people live. And it's been, I always wish God would have given me a different vision, something that was more compelling and exciting because being real is challenging. But that's the vision God gave me. And um, it's what I'm going to live out. It's a struggle to get other people to, to live it out. But, you know, Jesus said the truth sets you free. And I, I believe that. So I want to unpack that <clears throat> statement because I, yes, I, I think in an age, especially with <clears throat> social media, where there, it sounds great to right. say I'm real and authentic <clears throat> and I'm being my true self, but that is often more often than not cloaked in something else and where there's something else on the surface, there's something Mm -hmm. else underneath the surface. There is um, a level at which, um, you know, the reality is, is like people don't know us anymore. We know what they, we want them to know. And so I would be curious to hear your perspective on when God gives you such a vision like that for your church with, Mm with being real and especially being real as a church when I would say a lot of times, and we've seen this, we've seen evidence of this in that the, the church community, when it like when a scandal gets about a pastor or, or somebody in, in, in ministry gets uncovered, all of a sudden it's like, Oh my gosh, good. Because they were living this lie. Whereas <clears throat> like if that yeah. happens by somebody, you know, in Hollywood, it's like, ah, well they were in Hollywood. Like they weren't putting on a facade of, yeah. of something else. Yeah. So anyway, I'd be curious like how you have wrestled with that vision and how you have, how that has played out in your own life as to how mm. you personally have lived out that vision. Yeah. So are, are you familiar with Enneagram at all? Oh Yeah. Yeah. So my first book is a book called You. It's uh, it's uh, on the Enneagram. And so I wish I would have known about the Enneagram when I started church planting. So I'm a three uh, whose core sin is lying, right? So it's untruth. That's what a three is. And, um, you know, most of our politicians are threes. And so we wonder why they're never truthful. Well, I know so just, many pastors who are threes too. Yes. Yes. And so when people say, why did, why did you start a church that's vision was to be real? And I didn't know it at the time, but that's the only kind of church I could survive in. Mm. 
I can't make it anywhere else. The deepest need of my heart and my life is to be real. It's my greatest challenge, but it's also my greatest conviction. And so, you know, we all have these things called blind spots and they're blind spots because we don't see them and other people see them, but we don't see them. And I've just constantly and continually been humbled by God as he's shown me, you know, just when I think, oh, I don't have any more pride or, oh, I don't have any more of this. And 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 then the Lord's just like, well, here we go. And there's this whole new level of just gross sin that I was unaware of. And God has just continually been by my side and just helped me see, you know, as my platform has increased, you know, this is what I tell guys, ministry does not cover your sins. It exposes them. Yeah. So you, you better deal with them because they're going to come out. And, and And so I've just been really convicted about that. And I try as best I can to live what I preach. I don't want my kids to feel like, you know, the guy that's on stage is different than the dad that raised them. I don't want my wife to feel like the man on stage is different than, you know, the guy she goes to bed with every night. I I want them and my church knows I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. And, you know, sometimes people have a hard time with the way that I preach. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to my messages, but I'm very real. And I don't talk about, oh, my struggle 10 years ago. I talk about my struggle this week. Mm. Here's where I was. And I, and I tell my church when I blow it and when I mess up and when I, you know, I'm struggling or processing and hopefully inviting people into that process to change, because I say this all the time, if you want to heal, you got to get real. And that's right. just the only way it works. Right. So. And confession is such a, an important key piece of this that often, yeah. um, you know, sounds great on the surface. And we see it all throughout <clears throat> the Bible about the power of confession and repentance and Yet it is so much more difficult to actually practice and to. Oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to give you a, a personal real life example, because I mean, again, while not a pastor, feel like I need to just reiterate that. But I do have the opportunity to to preach at my church um, regularly. And, um, you know, I, I lead, um, you know, a couple of ministry teams and and things like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm in leadership. And so I'm, you know, my kids are 10 and eight or mm. almost eight. And so, and they are with us every single Sunday morning. Like when we, my, my husband pulls the trailer cause we're a set up and tear down church, yeah. which is grueling. Um, you know, and my husband drives the, the trailer every week to, to help unload. And so me and my kids, like we're there from, you know, seven 30 yeah, yeah. in the morning until one o'clock in the afternoon, every single Sunday. And, um, you know, so I, I've had a similar thought to you in that, like, I want the people closest to me, my children and my husband to say, yes, like she is exactly who she is when she's in leadership or if she's mm-hmm. you know, on a Sunday morning or whatever, like in any event, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, like I had a, a moment where I, 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 I messed up in front of my kids and said something I shouldn't have said. And, you know, I was just my, my sinful nature and my anger. Uh, I was not slow to anger in that moment. And I said, I said some things that I shouldn't have said. And like later on, I, I had this moment of where I just really felt that, that, that voice of the Lord back there going, you need to have a conversation with your daughter. 
And so I sat her down and I, I just confessed it. And I said, I really screwed up in this moment. It's not an Mm -hmm. excuse. Like, here's what happened, but I've spent some time with the Lord and, and I feel really, and I didn't try to over spiritualize it, but I also was Mm -hmm. honest about, you know, just where I was and, and how God convicted me. And, and I apologized to her and it was just such a sweet moment where she was like, no, mommy, I understand. And, um, and then of course, like Mm. 30 seconds later, I think we're having this moment and she's like, can I go watch a show? And I, yeah, yeah. So you're just like, okay, but that, that I want to model for my children too, like the confession and repentance piece. And then assure her I'm going to do, I'll mess up again, but I'm going to do everything I can to prevent that Mm. from happening again. Yeah, no, totally. So, you know, James 5.16 is a huge verse for our church. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be whole and healed. And one of the most radical miracles I've ever seen in my life, and I talk about in the book, it's this, um, it's actually my niece. In the book, they say she's a couple months old, but I I think she was eight weeks old. So Mm. like new. Yeah. And she had a stroke and a heart attack at my my sister-in-law's birthday party. Mm. And we did CPR on her. And I, for all your listeners, you got to be really careful when you do CPR on a, on an infant, we blew holes in her lungs. So, you know, in trying to help her, we actually almost killed my niece and it was just this terrible, terrible scenario. And basically the hospital said, there's nothing we can do. And so my brother said, can we come and anoint her with oil and pray over her? This is California. You know, it's just not, most doctors aren't Christians. And so we called all of our pastors together and so we had to scrub in and, you know, get in gowns to go in to pray over his daughter. And she's in this oxygen tent. And before we go in, my brother says, okay, let's all confess our sins. Mm. And we just went around in a circle and I don't remember what everybody confessed, but, but generally it was, Lord, I'm not sure you're going to do anything. Like, I'm, I'm not sure this prayer is going to work. And we go in there and we pray and she is out of the oxygen tent an hour later and totally healed. Wow, And it's that confession piece. And I'm so grateful that my brother, you know, he was so desperate for a miracle, but he just said, Hey, I, you know, remember what James says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Well, the preceding verse is confess your sins one to another. And so we did that. And, you know, my niece, she graduated from college. She works in marketing in Chicago, but we would have lost her. But I'm so grateful for that. And for, for 10 years in Southern California, I would run into doctors and surgeons. They'd be like, hey, aren't you the pastor of that guy where that girl came back to life? Mm. And I get doctors asking me that. But it came through confession. And I, and I truly believe that. And, and confession doesn't guarantee a miracle. But, but lying hinders miracles. So, wow. Yeah. So I'm a big, big believer in confession, what you're saying. So wow. it's huge. That to is- our kids, to each other. Yeah. That's incredibly powerful. And I think also is is kind of the perfect segue into talking about your book, um, Every Day a Miracle. And um, I, in particular, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this podcast is because, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't have everybody on my show, you know, not to be like, you're very lucky, Matt. I'm just kidding. Yeah, Uh, I feel blessed. (laughs) Um, But one of the the things that really struck me um, about about you and about this book, Everyday a Miracle, is this is a conversation in particular that we have actually been having in our church pretty regularly. Um, so every Wednesday night, we do uh, a prayer meeting every every Wednesday night on at 7 p.m. We do a prayer meeting and we have yeah, since we great. started. And um, a prayer that my husband prayed on the prayer meeting and has been 
since echoed by so many that join us every week was this was probably four or five months ago where he just and my husband's a a man of few words if you know what I mean like he Mm. will only speak if he really feels like something important is going to be said. So when he prays, like I'm always, my ears perk a little bit. Cause I'm always mm. kind of like, what's he, what's he going to say? Um, and he said, he was like, Lord, I want to see a miracle in generation life church. And he mm. said, I believe that you still do miracle miracles. And I want to see an undeniable miracle that, mm. you know, cannot be explained to anyone in our church or to anyone around us other than the move of God. And so it's kind of led to this really interesting conversation. And, and so we're each and every week, like we are just praying um, and and praying for a miracle keeps coming up. And, yeah. um, and so I love this topic because um, it can feel woo woo to yeah, some yeah. people. Um, yeah. But I, I love it because I read the scriptures and we see miracles over and over and over again. And yet there's nothing in the scriptures that say that they don't still happen. We know yeah, that no. they still happen. So yeah. if we know that this is true, that these still happen, yeah. you know, how? And so um, anyway, so that's why I wanted to, to, to have you on the show. So I'd love for you to kind of just kick off this part of the conversation for you to just sort of share, like, where did, did your heart for this book come from? And your drive in particular for this topic that can feel a little uncomfortable for some people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, whenever churches get into the miraculous, they tend to get weird. And so that's just kind of the thing that you got to be careful of. And so what I would just say to all your listeners is I'm not one of these just super uber charismatic people that's always believed in miracles. I would say I'm a Baptist who has been compelled by repeated evidence that they happen that miracles are real and they happen every day. And it starts off, uh, you know, kind of the journey, my own personal journey uh, into just the the disaster of my life where I, I had uh, throat surgery because I had a tumor in my throat. Mm. And I talk about this in the book. When I woke up, I remember asking the doctor, you know, was the surgery successful? And he said, no. And I, that is not what you want to hear. Mm. And I, I said, what do you mean? No. And he said, we found nothing. There's nothing in your throat. He said, the tumor's gone. And I, I said to my doctor, I said, how can that be? And he said, you're a pastor. You tell me. Mm. And it was just like, whoa. And so that just kind of kicks off this journey mm. of, okay, who is this Jesus? What have I missed about this Jesus? And then how do I invite that this miraculous Jesus into my life? And what I would just tell all your listeners, the book is just really upfront. I can't, I cannot guarantee the miracle you want, but I do guarantee the miracle you need. And, and God repeatedly does that. And God answers every prayer with yes, no, or wait. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. The second you pray it, God says yes, God says no, or God says wait. And then I go into, you know, how do you wait? How do you know what God's will is? And then, you know, the book ends with just one of the most bizarre things I think your listeners will ever hear. And it's bizarre because it happened to me. And, And if I wasn't there and I didn't see it, I couldn't believe it. But chapter 12, I saw God bring a young boy back to life from the dead in a surge, in, in, in an OR in front of doctors, anesthesiologists, nurses, medical professionals. And there was no one more surprised than me. And I saw this with my own eyes. And I remember the surgeon who was in the corner. You know, I, I don't think he's a believer. I don't think he's a Christian. And this guy is a plastic surgeon. Um, I asked him, I said, what do you do for a living? He says, I make mountains out of molehills. So I can let your listeners think about what that is that he does. So he's breast augmentation. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I could see you weren't following. I was, so, following. Um, I was like thinking about it. 
Ah, yeah. Yes. So, okay. yeah. Okay. So I asked him, I said, well, why did you get into this? And, and he told me, he said, because I, I hated giving bad news to families. Yeah. He was a general surgeon and he just said, he said, I couldn't take the death. So he, you have this guy who does breast augmentation and facelifts for a living. He volunteers his time to go to Vietnam with us to do a cleft palate surgery on a little boy. We didn't know this at the time, but he makes a mistake. He puts the wrong airway tube in the little boy. He put an adult size. This boy was 18 months old. And so for your listeners that don't have a medical background, if your airway, uh, it's a sphincter, if your airway spasms, that's it, you're done. There's there's nothing, once your airway closes, there's there's no hope. So asthmatics understand this. Like, you know, you can have an inhaler, you can, but if that airway closes, there's nothing that medical professionals can do for you. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to this young boy. And so I didn't know this, but he hadn't been breathing for eight hours. And so there was a huge disagreement, huge fight between the doctors. And so the, the one doctor who was a Christian, this is a Christian medical mission trip. He said, we're not calling him dead until Pastor Matt prays over him. So you can imagine that's, that's me. Yeah. Um, no pressure. And for all your listeners, like, oh, you should be such a man of faith. I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. I scrub in, I go in there. There's huge fight, huge disagreement. Doctors are screaming, literally pans are flying because some of the doctors are concerned. We're in Vietnam. They're concerned we're going to go to jail. Right. Because- you know, we're not wanted there. We're Christians. Uh, we've killed a kid. This, he should not have died. And so anyways, I, I say this prayer. I go into detail in the book um, about all the details. But I remember when I was done, Dr. Harvesty is in the corner crying mm. because he did this. And he looks at me and he says, it's just like in the Bible. Those were his words. Mm. It's just like the stories in the Bible. And this kid came right back to life uh, and no brain damage, no, no issues, totally fine. And was without oxygen for eight hours. And I just remember like, how do I even go about tomorrow after something like that? Like, how do you, when you experience something like that, like, what do you do? Um, And it's why I think the opponents of Jesus said, well, he does this by the power of Satan because it's, it, you can't argue with it. So you have to argue the source. And so I knew God had done something crazy. So then COVID happens. And we're losing, we lost all kinds of people in our church to COVID. It was so sad. One family in our church lost nine family members. Oh it was just brutal. Goodness. And I said, uh, they had a birthday party. One person had COVID and it just spread like wildfire on this party. And it was a family with, you know, a lot of members were diabetic and diabetes made COVID really rough on you. And I said, we got to do a service on healing. And my my leadership team's like, are you, what, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And we did it and we saw God move in such miraculous ways. And some of the stories are in the book. And I thought, you know what, I've got to write a book on this. And so I told Harper Collins, you know, that I wanted to write this book and they said, no, Mm. no, there's too much death. There's too much suffering. And and so it got shot down. I had to go all the way to the vice president of publishing. And I said, I think this book needs to be written. And I, I explained why, and I shared some of the stories. And so they gave me the green light. So, you know, thank you for a non Christian company saying, okay, we're going to tell this story. And we're going to let you share this. But what I would just say is miracles remind believers. And I think about your husband's prayer that God Mm -hmm. is real. God is still moving and God is still working. And we all need the miraculous to encourage us. We just do. Right. And so for non-Christians, what it does is it, it doesn't, miracles don't answer all the questions. They don't give us all the answers, but they cause us to ask deeper questions. And, and what I've learned and why this book is so important, especially for you as a church plant is people that don't go to church aren't interested in church. I don't care how clever your sermon series is, how powerful the church is, how funny the communicator is. What drives people to church is pain. And, um, you know, I think about our neighbors. She's an atheist and he's Jewish and she's battling mental illness. 
she's struggling deeply and and I don't want to comment any more on that but she's she's having some either either some real hallucinations or she's seen some very real things that are scary and I just told her I said look I'm not a psychiatrist I'm not a doctor I said I don't know what this problem is but Jesus does would you let me pray for you in the name of Jesus she says yes please her Jewish husband jumps up comes over lays hands on his wife as we pray and that's the thing is when you're desperate it doesn't matter if you're Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're atheist. It doesn't matter if you're Baptist. You know, it doesn't matter if you're John MacArthur. If you yeah. have cancer, you want a miracle. Right. And and it humbles us all. And it brings us to this place of desperation. And that's where God moves. And I think that suffering removes the layers that we let pile up between us and God. And pain allows us to speak straight through to where God is. And, um, you know, I don't always understand why people suffer, why people some die. I don't understand why. I pray over some people, they get well, and I pray over others and they die. I, I tell people all the time, we don't need faith in what God will do. We need faith in what he can do. Mm -hmm. And that's where our faith lies. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I really love in particular the way that you just said, um, and I, this was a thing I didn't even think we would, would get to, but that, that piece that you said about how, like, it, it doesn't matter how clever your sermon series is, doesn't remember how yeah. effective of a communicator yeah. you, you are what brings people to Jesus is, is a moment of desperation. Amen. Um, and, and I, I, you know, that's my own story. Um, getting saved, uh, at the age, you know, in, in my twenties, um, I got saved yeah. in a moment of desperation where yeah. I had tried for years and years and years to do everything in my own strength and in my own way. And, um, and it just landed me broke and broken and, depressed and suicidal. And, you know, it wasn't yeah. until, um, I kind of heard that still small voice of the Lord that just said, why don't, why don't you give me a try? And so yeah, I, you know, I stepped yeah. foot in, into the doors of a church and, um, and that was the last place I wanted to be. And so it's interesting in my Bible study this year, we're going through the gospel of John. Mm. And when you, you know, especially I'm, I'm sure as a pastor, you know, you know, you know, this, like when you really go through the gospel of John in particular and you yeah. go through it slowly and you're reading through these miracles and, and the signs and you just see in every single story and, and we see this throughout the entire Bible, but especially mm. in, in John, I just feel like it's, it's potent is Amen. every person that gets healed or saved or follows Jesus, like is doing so in a moment of desperation. Mm -hmm. And yes. it is, um, it's this moment where somebody just comes to, they've tried everything else and they have, you know, they're despondent, they're desperate, they're depressed, they're outcast. And it's that moment that they realize oh, there's actually, I, I'm not supposed to try to save myself. And, yeah. um, but the other thing too, that has been really interesting in particular that I just had never really paid attention to. I think I knew it kind of, uh, innately, but I just I hadn't really paid attention to is how every person that, mm. that comes into contact to G with Jesus and, and experiences a miracle and experiences salvation and, and healing, also has to participate in their own miracle. Yeah. Amen. And so that's always really fascinating too, is like, uh, like for example, like the man born blind mm. where Jesus, yeah. you know, spits into the mud and he wipes the mud on the guy's eyes. Mm. And it, it just never occurred to me that like this blind man <laughs> mm -hmm. walks yeah. away from Jesus 
because Jesus says, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. And this guy in total faith has to then walk away from Jesus and go to the pool, like with muddy, muddy spit eyes Mm -hmm. and go wash them off. And he probably thinks like, why am I doing this? Like why Mm -hmm. I've got mud on my eyes. What, what in that moment? And it's a moment of desperation. And Jesus could have just said, you're healed. Boom. Right. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to do this. And then I need you to take the next step of faith to believe Mm. that this is going to happen. And so I, I set all that up to say and ask you your, your perspective and your approach to this in, in today's day and age Mm -hmm. of how does that translate to today? When, when we're praying and crying out for a miracle, what does it look like for us as believers today or people who are desperate um, mm-hmm. to do our part in the miracle? Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Amen. No, absolutely. And so I actually have a chapter on it. And the story is Natasha. And um, she's an 18-year-old girl diagnosed with cancer. And she was told, don't worry about it. It's not Hodgkin's lymphoma. A lot of kids get this. You know, you're going to do one or two treatments and you'll be on your way. Well, 10 years later. She's not on her way. She's an 18-year-old woman. Um, she's ravaged by 10 years of chemotherapy and all kinds of experimental drugs. Uh, you know, lost her hair multiple times. And she comes in my office, and uh, I, I've known her since she was a kid. And she said, uh, the City of Hope, it's the leading cancer hospital in California. She said, there's no hope. They gave me three weeks to live. And she slides me this, this photograph, and it's a CAT scan of her body. And she looks like a Dalmatian dog. I mean, there's just black spots everywhere. Mm. And she just said, I don't want to die, Pastor Matt. And she just says, you know, will you, will you pray with me? And um, I call it the soul cry because what desperation does is it removes all barriers between us and God. And um, in the book, it's a powerful chapter. And a lot of people don't understand why do I need to repeatedly pray? And, and, and repetition, it's not so that we're heard because we repeat. Repetition allows me to truly mean what I say. You know, so think about Isaiah 6, 1, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So it's in the third time that we understand, okay, something is being said here. And so she just starts screaming out, I don't want to die. I don't want to die in this prayer session. And it was hard to hear. Her husband was there. Uh, two other pastors were with me and, and we're just all weeping. And I said in the book, you know, she became the pastor and I became the student. And I watched her be heard by God. And so she gets done with this just screaming, I don't want to die, heal me, Jesus. Screaming, I don't want to die, heal me, Jesus. Screaming, I don't want to die, heal me, Jesus. And then it's my turn to pray. And I just go, there's nothing left to be said. And I just said, Lord Jesus, you've heard her. And we anointed with oil. That's four and a half years ago. And she's still alive. She's still doing well. And God heard her and extended her life. And I just think it's so, so important. If you want to heal, you got to get real. And I, that doesn't guarantee because I've I've heard other people pray and and you know they went to be with the Lord. Ultimately, God is God. We are not. We don't give orders to God. We make requests. But but I have seen God answer prayers, and it's just it's just this this. It's so important that we're real. Mm-hmm. And 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 I can't tell you how many people when they pray, if they're honest, they're worried. Of, they're more worried about what everyone else is hearing than what they're saying to God. Yeah, and that's just. I would just say there's a very little chance of that prayer being answered if your audience is the people around you and not the God in heaven. And the soul cry is when it's just God. And she didn't care. She didn't care that snot was running from her nose to the floor. She didn't care that her eyes were puffy. She didn't care that it was an ugly cry. She didn't care. 
she cared about being heard by God. And I got to witness that. And it's truly one of the most powerful prayer moments of my life. And um, she's actually going to be with me at the book launch. Um, and I asked her to be there. And she just said, Pastor Matt, God continues to do miracles in my life every day. And I just love this gal, appreciate her and, and her husband, um, Kyle. They're just good friends. And it's just so amazing to see God. And that's what I would tell your audience. We pray to God. And if you need a miracle, here's what I would say. What do you have to lose? Like, I, I don't understand why people don't pray. Like, like if you need a miracle, ask for one. And, and we ask for miracles because God has the power to say yes. And, and I've seen him say yes. But he's also God and he can say no. Or there are times when he can say wait and we have to sit in our suffering, which is never pleasant. But it's part of it's part of being a human. I really resonated with what you just said about the, when we pray, are we more concerned with the people who can hear us than the God we're praying to? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That is just, because I, I would like to say that I would be somebody who cares more about the God who is hearing me. But I would be lying, and here's my confession, in that sometimes right. I have in mind the people that hear are hearing me pray. Um, and yeah. I don't ever want to be one of some one of those people that just prays very fake sounding where I'm like, you yeah. don't talk like that, like with a the yeah. and thou and thou art. And yeah. like there should be a reverence in your prayer, sure, but like also just speak. Um yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, amen. We, don't, we don't have to yeah. get all complicated with this. Um and in fact, there's um, a story in, oh, what is it? Is it Nehemiah? No, Jeremiah 20. No, Second Chronicles 20, when you have King Jehoshaphat, who, yeah. I think it's Second Chronicles 20, um, could be First Chronicles 20. Forgive me, y'all. I don't have my Bible in front of me. Yeah. Um, where uh, this was what we did in our, my Bible study last year. And this, honestly, again, it, it I'm not perfect, so I've not done better since then. But um, it, it changed the way I think about prayer and it changed the mm -hmm. way I pray. And yeah. that is, um, you know, King Jehoshaphat, he's got this... Uh, this army that is coming at him and it just, mm -hmm. the odds are not in their favor that, that right. King Jehoshaphat going to lead the Israelites to victory. Mm -hmm. And he is just, he's des he's in a moment of desperation and he actually says something to the effect I'm paraphrasing, but basically like, Lord, we don't know what to pray, but, yeah. but you do. And so hear the, the cries of our heart. And yeah. that in particular has really been my approach in so many ways to prayer in the last year when somebody Amen. says, um, will you pray for me over a particular situation? And a lot of times I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what to pray in, in this situation. And sometimes yeah. it'll be something as simple as Lord, I don't know what to pray. Um, but you mm. hear the cries of our heart over this situation. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know what to pray, but I'm going to just lift up yeah. this whole thing to you and just trust that you, you hear us. And, um, and I think what that also does, and I think to your point, then it's something I know you talk about in your yeah. book is like Amen. when you trust and you worship the great healer, no matter what his yes. plan is, um, you know, by, by having that moment of just saying like, I don't know what to pray. This is no longer in my hands. It, it was never in my hands to begin with, but now mm -hmm. I'm really leaving it at your feet. I am trusting and I am worshiping you no matter what happens. And there is something that happens when it just, it transforms your own heart. 
mm-hmm. you know? Amen. And yeah. that's just, ooh, that is so powerful. Yeah. Amen. I love it. I'm going to take a quick break from this conversation with Matt to let you know that, man, this week, if you're listening to this, when when this episode comes out, this week, I have been recording my audiobook. So if you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't completely despise the sound of my voice, even though, you know, it's it's a weird feeling when you hear your own voice played back to you because you're like, do I sound like that? Anyway, so if you like the sound of my voice, if it doesn't completely turn you off, I am recording my own audiobook and you can pre-order my audiobook right now. So if you have an Audible subscription, you can uh, get it there. You can get it wherever basically you get audiobooks. So you can just search for If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, How Death, Debt, and Comedy Led to a Life of Faith, Farming, and Forgetting What I Came Into This Room For. And you can pre-order the audiobook right now. And on March 26th, 2024, I guess at midnight, I don't really know how that works. (laughs) So I'm just being totally honest with you. But I assume on that day, it just will pop right into your library and it will be awesome. I am so excited. This has been such a unique opportunity to be able to read my own words out loud on a recorded line, so to speak. But anyway, um, I would love for you to go and pre-order it right now. Thank you so, so much for your support. Now back to my conversation with Matt Brown. So I would be curious with this book, and especially I like hearing that you got you got pushback um, because of that. I think that's actually encouraging that when when you keep when you go, no, this is a message that needs to get out here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when you set out to write it, what ultimately was your goal for the person who's on the other end and and picks it up and opens it, cracks it open, and and their eyes fall on the words that you've written? Um, what is your prayer for that person? Yeah, it, my prayer is that they would understand that they're on a journey with Jesus. Um, you know, chapter two is the miracle of God's presence, that God's, God is present with you in this journey yeah. and that your story is not over. I, I think so, so many people we give up too soon, you know, my marriage is over, my finances is over. The, the doctor said three weeks, look, you, your story's not over until God writes the last chapter. And so you're, you're on this journey with Jesus and part of this journey, part of that you're suffering, part of everything that you're going through is necessary for you to finish your story. And, and, you know, Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right. And so if there's a call in your life, God is working in that. And, um, you know, I just finished the audio version of my book and the chapter on, on, uh, waiting, I was so convicted. I told my wife, I said, man, if I could just live out what I wrote, it was so convicted is just, okay, Lord, I'm sitting in this and I'm waiting in this. And I, I had some huge, huge disappointing things happen about a year and a half ago. And I, I just really struggled with God with why. And my chapter, when God says, no, this is what I say, instead of asking why that's not the right question, ask how, how is God going to get me through this? That's a better question. And uh, I can see that you have, I think you're, you're wearing a shirt that has Hebrew on it. Yeah. Um, it's uh, the Hebrew for five and two for um, five, okay. five loaves and two fishes. Oh, cool. I love it. Um, so a lot, I, I can read Hebrew. That's what I was asking. Um, <laughs> Slight yeah. flex, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. So um, in, uh, you know, in our English Bibles, uh, the book of Lamentations to lament is to like to pray. But in, he, in the Hebrew version, it's, it's echa, which is how, how am I going to get through this? Mm. And, and it culminates in uh, chapter three of Lamentations, which is the Lord's mercies are new every morning. That's yeah. how, that's how you're going to get through it. And so 
I went through some real disappointment and it's just so interesting. Here I am two years on the other side of something where I just was really confused. And I realized two things. Number one, I needed to go through it. Number two, I couldn't have written that book had I not gone through it. Mm. You know, so nobody wants to read a preachy healing book, like where you just feel bad, like, oh, okay, I need to have more faith. But there's actually a journey that uh, the readers and listeners will be going through as they trust God. Um, and one of the big things I get into, and I'm really hopeful in this book, is uh, chapter 10 is the complex nature of healing. And I think in church, we think everything's solved with a prayer. And at the doctor's office, everything's solved with a pill. Well, what if we need both? Mm. What if what if we need medical doctors and uh, Christians to come together? And, you know, there's so many Christians out there that they they don't have the mind that they want. And they're just so opposed to any kind of medication. And what I tell you know, families in my church that are opposed to medication, I say, well, you have a kid that needs glasses. Have you prayed for them to not need glasses? And they're like, no. I was like, well, why is that? Well, because they need them. Well, some kids after we've prayed need medication. And, um, but then on the other side, I think uh, our hospitals write prescriptions way yeah. too fast and they don't encourage the work. And I talk about this in the book. I work out at a gym and a lot of the young men, unfortunately, use steroids. But I use that as an example. If you just take steroids and don't work out, you won't change your body. You have to do both. And and for far too many people, they're on medication, but they're not working out their mind. They're not working out their heart. They're not doing the work to change. And I talk about the story where Jesus heals the man with legion. You know that story? Yeah. And I think as Christians, we misunderstand. So as a Christian, we say, well, he had many demons. And as a psychiatrist, you would say he had multiple personality disorder. But Jesus does three things. The first thing is he identifies. He says, what is your name? And diagnosis is so important. Why would Jesus, why would the King of Kings and Lord of Lords say that? Because he's a doctor. Like what, what does the doctor, you know, say, what are your symptoms? I think about the, the little boy who the disciples couldn't heal. He asked the father, how long has this been happening? Jesus is the good doctor. He's asking these very important questions so he can solve the problem. But then after he heals Legion, they say they find him in his right mind sitting on a log talking. And what I talk about is that's counseling. Jesus is counseling this man. Mm -hmm. And then remember the man says, let me come be with you. He says, no, you got to go back to your family. The man is relationally broken for his true healing to take place. He's got to go back to his family and friends. Mm -hmm. That's where the miracle ends. It's not just with the demon going away, but it's, 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 it's a whole picture of healing. And we need to look at it as that. Cause I think a lot of people in our pews, they want just a prayer. They don't want to do any work. But for some of our healing to take place, we have to do the work. And so unfortunately, suffering is a part of that process. And I, and I think that's really, really important. And then I get into, you know, emotional healing, deep wounds. You know, I've had a, a pretty crazy life in the ministry. And I did a ministry that reached out to women in the porn industry and, um, and to strippers. This is probably 15 years ago. They did a reality TV show on it. And it was before reality TV was, re it didn't do very well. Um, wow. It was called the pussycat preacher. So wow. your audience can look it up. Wow. Um, just, just know it is a show about strippers and porn stars. So not exactly <laughs> like for, it's not for children. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Prepare your, prepare your eyes visually. But out of that, I, I, I discovered how hard it is to truly help women in that industry. But out of that, I developed a friend in the book. I, I her name is Mackenzie. I changed her name because I didn't want her to, you know, get any backlash from the people that she was in the industry with. But it took 10 years before we shared a hug, mm -hmm. 10 years, because every physical interaction with a man is so painful. And she had been hurt by men that said, 
hey, I can trust you. And I just talk about how long that process is. And for so many of us, you know, we have people that have been abused by their parents, neglected, divorced, cheated on. And we're like, get over it. You prayed. You got to let it go. You know, the past is the past. And it's like, look, man, we've got to walk with these people slowly because a broken heart heals slowly. And so that's just one of the things I talk about. And, and God's okay with that. And, and God moves in that. And, and, and I talk about the woman who had bled for 12 years in that yeah. story about how her journey of suffering ultimately led her to the moment of healing, but she needs that. And, um, and so I'm grateful for Mackenzie and, um, I'm grateful that she let me share her story. And, um, I'm grateful for a couple in our church who moved her from her state to their home. Imagine bringing in a prostitute into your home with two children. You're a wife, you have a husband. Okay. (laughs) Think about that. But ultimately it was through their love and their support. And then I was in small group with McKenzie for 10 years that she changed. Yeah. But, you know, it just God's healing was way slower than I wanted, but it was exactly at the pace he wanted. And so I think sometimes we think instant is everything. And so what I say in the book is you got to remember when you're praying for an instant prayer, you're praying to an eternal God. He works on a different timeline and we have to embrace that. Yeah. And so um, there's just so many great stories uh, in the book. And, and I'm so grateful for all the people that let me, the brave people that let me share their stories uh, just about the radical miracles that God did in their life. And my hope is that the reader would say, okay, where might God move miraculously in me? I think about your husband. Um, where might God move miraculously in our church? And just being open to what that is and, and wa- sit back and watch God move because it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing what he'll do. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I really, um, I, in particular, I I connected so much with what you said about, um, you know, the, the importance of the both and, um, you know, the the prayer and the medication. Yeah. If that's, if that's what you need, um, the counseling, I always say, I'm like, Jesus and a therapist is great. Yes. Jesus and a therapist all day long. Um, because for me, I mean, I was, you know, probably eight, years into my walk with the Lord, um, before I ever stepped foot in, uh, to meet with a counselor. Um, mm. and, uh, it was, you know, I had been walking with the Lord for, for, you know, for about eight years and, um, we yeah. experienced uh, deep, deep suffering, um, yeah. in our, uh, in our family and, and some loss and, you know, at the, at the sweet encouragement of a friend, she said, I, I think you should probably go see, see a counselor. Yeah. And so I did. And, um, it was a, a Christian counselor. And I remember I thought that I was going to meet with this counselor to talk about, uh, one thing when then as we began to talk in our first session and I was unpacking, you know, all of the grief of my teenage life and losing my mom at 17 and all this stuff. And she was like, I think we have a lot more to unpack than just this situation, which I'm looking back, you know? Um, and, and I think for me, like true spiritual freedom through suffering, I, I really came after I went through counseling and it was like being able to sit down with a counselor and have the scriptures there to support and guide me while also having a godly person to sit there and counsel me through that was a key, mm. key piece. And so often, I mean, I love your analogy of like, you know, you work, you work out at a gym and like you can take steroids all day long, but if you're not working out, like, 
you know, yeah, that's, it won't, yeah, it won't do anything. It's not going to do anything. But you know, same thing with like, you can work out five days a week, but if you're going to McDonald's right after you go to the yeah. gym, like you're, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to see results. Like there's a, yeah. there's yeah. a, there's a couple of components that are, that are, uh, at play here. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that that just, man, I think that that, that really kind of even sums up everything we've been talking about today from the, the being real piece is like, yeah. you know, we can be real all day long, but if we're not actually like confessing, um, mm-hmm. with, you know, trusted people in our lives, I mean, this isn't the, this isn't to say, you, you know, you listening need to go on social media and like air all your dirty laundry. Yeah, um, no, not, I would encourage them not to do that. Yeah, yeah. Not a good idea. Not a good idea, but to seek out a godly counselor or, or mm. talk to your pastor or talk to a trusted friend. Um, and, and I always also caution, you know, I'm sure you do as well. It's like, you got to also know that person that you're, you're confessing this to, but that confession piece, um, that, that goes along with being real, um, and Mm. being who we say we are in addition to, to putting in the work, um, in order to see God's miracles. But then at the end of the day, learning to trust and to worship, uh, the great healer, um, you know, the Mm. great I am, no matter what his plan is for our lives. I mean, that, that is hard. Mm. It is better said than done, but it's, it's like any other muscle, um, that you work out, the more it's a spiritual muscle and the more that you work Mm. that spiritual muscle out, the, the stronger it will be. Yes. Yeah. You know, amen. Oh, That's a man. Good word. man, this is so good, Matt. This is so good. Um, okay. Well, Thank how you, can Molly. people connect with you? Uh, where can they buy your book? When do, is it already out? Does it, when does it come out? Yeah. March 5th, but, uh, 5th. you can All pre-order, right. you can pre-order now on Amazon. You can go to my webpage, everydayamiraclebook.com. Uh, I have some free leader tools. Uh, the book is great to go through with some friends, um, like your husband. I, I would encourage your leadership team. Okay, so he's praying for miracles. Let's go through this book together. Let's yeah. talk about this um, and and go through it together. So I wrote it. Um, I try to give as many materials as I could for free. You know, I, a lot of authors write by the book, then by the workbook, and, and and there's nothing on that. I try to put it all in there for free so that people could just spend the twenty bucks and twenty bucks and go. It's on audio. So if you have an Audible account or something, you can get that. So they can connect with me on uh, at Matthew at Matthew Stephen Brown. That's my Instagram. Uh, I have a my own podcast, the Debrief Podcast, where I answer basically hard biblical questions and relational questions. And so it's kind of a Q and A podcast. Uh, I have some guests from time to time, and then you know they can follow me. They can watch my sermons for free at soundschurch.com every single week, and that's where we've seen the biggest growth. I remember thinking, you know, when COVID happened, we had twenty thousand in twenty nineteen for Easter, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so great. And then the next year we were closed, and I was like, Lord, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, we had a half a million people watch Easter sermon wow. on Easter, so wow. God's always doing something. Yeah, and so. Um, so just just trust God on that, and um, I try to do as many resources as I can for free. But I'll be praying for you and your church, and I just Thank appreciate you. you. And I love love the name of your show. Can I laugh on your shoulder? Thank it's you. so great. Thank you. Thank so you. great. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most creative uh, things I've seen. So well, I love thank it. Thank you. I really appreciate yeah. that. Um, my I was just last night. My daughter uh, said he, she was like, "What does that mean?" What does that mean? Yeah. And I was trying to explain it. I was like, well, it's a play on the whole frame. Yes. Like, can I cry? It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's my, it's my whole thing. And, um, as a, as an, uh, a fellow author, my first book comes out in March as well. Um, Ooh, what is it? It's called, if I don't laugh, I'll cry. And Ooh, I love it. I can't wait to get it. Yeah. So it comes yeah. out March 26th. Um, but I'm just, I'm sharing that as a, as a fellow March author, um, yes. just the, 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 the grit congratulations, um, because the grit that it takes. Well, you know, 
you know, you know. Yeah. it is. Woo! Yeah. It is not for the faint of heart. Um, and also, um, this is me encouraging everyone listening to go pre-order because pre-orders are a big deal. Pre-orders I know. I didn't deal. know that. But yeah. So for your audience, just so when you ask them to pre-order yours, it affects how many they print and how much money they put into marketing. And they yeah. don't tell you that, but that, but it does. It and does. so yeah. if you want to see Christian books do well, you need to support them with pre-orders. That's right. Yes. That's right. That'll yeah. preach, Matt. That'll yeah, preach. Amen. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, awesome. Well, for the listeners, um, I will... Um, and those watching on YouTube, I will make sure to include all of those uh, links and everything in the show notes. Uh, but Matt, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Molly. I hope you loved this conversation with Matt Brown. Man, what an inspiring episode. I am going to be thinking about this for a long time. I tell you. I would love to know what you loved about this episode. Will you let us know on social media? You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. And also, now in 2024, these episodes are on YouTube. So if you ever want to see what our guests look like or you just want to watch this conversation, you can go to my YouTube channel. I'm youtube.com slash Still Being Molly. And all of the episodes are up on YouTube as well. So you can subscribe and follow and interact there. And I, this is something I've been wanting to do for like, I don't know, the better part of four or five years of this podcast. And so now we're actually making it happen. Very excited about that. I'm still learning the YouTube ropes. So forgive me. But, you know, if you want to just see these conversations happening on YouTube, you could do that. All right. I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. Thank you so much to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And I hope something this week makes you laugh to your cry. We'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>